listening to the Rainmaking podcast, hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. This is episode 168. Our topic today is the six key numbers that should be tracked in every firm, and our special guest is Brooke Lively. Now, Brooke Lively has an interesting perspective on business. She's a speaker, she's a chief financial officer, she's a strategic coach and the founder of Cathedral Capital, which is a group of profitability specialists that help small businesses improve their bottom line. Now, I think it's always good to look at numbers when we go to take our physicals with our doctors. They look at our blood pressure. They look at our heart rate. They look at our weight. Those are numbers that we have to track. And I remember the time I did that, my doctor said, you need to lose a few pounds. I said, that's not the problem. He said, what's the problem? I said, I'm at the perfect weight. I'm just two inches too short. So you can look at it that way also. But so when you look at the numbers, those are going to tell you what key indicators of your future will be. So you need to keep your thumb on the pulse. And Brooke is going to tell us what we should be looking at. So pay close attention to what she says. She's also written a book that she talks about in our show, and I've put the link to that on the show notes. So make sure you check that out and connect with Brooke as well on LinkedIn. As always, thanks for listening. And this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, legal intelligence suite of products, Firmscape and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. And now here's my conversation with Brooke Lively. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guest today is Brooke Lively, and our topic title is From Panic to Profit, the six key numbers that should be tracked in every firm. Brooke, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks, Scott. So I like the title of your book, and we're going to put that book link on the show notes also, but From Panic to Profit, what does that mean exactly? Why did you come up with that title for your book? Well, here's what I found. People in especially professional services, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, marketing, whatever it is, you generally went into that because you have a passion for it. Yeah. And the passion you have is never for business, right? It was for practicing law, practicing medicine, doing great marketing campaigns or accounting, if you can have a passion for accounting. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, a lot of them do. They do. Hey, my team does. Yeah. You know, the business part of it is hard. And while all the people we work with are absolutely smart enough to do the business part, they haven't been trained in it. And it is the part that causes panic. It Mm. is the thing that keeps them up at night. They know they can practice law really well. They know they can win cases. They know they can represent their clients. So I wrote a book about the basics of running a business, those basic financial things that you need to be looking at to build a good foundation. Wow, okay. Sleep at night. So tell me then, you say that there's six key numbers that should be tracked in every firm. Let's kind of go over those. Okay, so there are a couple of different ways to look at this. There's some that are kind of company-wide, whether Mm -hmm. it's a firm or we're just going to use the word firm, whatever kind of firm you have. And then there are also ones that can be looked at kind of personally, mm-hmm. like you and and the associates that you have working for you. So let's look at the ones that are kind of firm-wide first. Okay, good. And those are like 
cash. We all know cash is king. Do you have enough cash? How much cash do you have? The number you want to be looking at, and I use the word number liberally because a lot of these are reports, is your cash flow forecast. How much cash do you have for the next six to eight weeks? And do you have enough to keep going? Yeah. If you own the firm, you got to be looking at this. If you are a partner, you probably got a managing partner that's dealing with this and you don't have to. Yeah, right, right. Same thing with um, budget versus actual. You know, where did you think you were going to be and where did you actually end up? Mm -hmm. Were you over or under for a good reason? And let me tell you, you can be over. You can overspend for a great reason. So is this a number that people should be looking at from the past or something kind of more with a future forward perspective? So you want to run it every month. It's a basic report that's in, you know, QuickBooks or whatever accounting software you're using. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you should be predicting your year. And then when you close a month, so let's say you've just closed September, you want to sit down, hopefully the, you know, second week of October and say, okay, what did we think we were going to do in September? What did we actually do in September? And from there, you look at it and you say, what did we do right so that we can keep doing that? Yeah. So is this more or less a financial instrument to measure financial performance or is there other information that we're trying to get at by looking at these numbers? Here's the thing. Your financial reporting is nothing but a scorecard of your operations. That's all it is. Everything that you do in your firm shows up on your P&L mm -hmm, and your mm -hmm. balance sheet. It all comes out there. Right. So when I'm looking at these numbers, you mentioned first it's cash. Is that number one? And then budget versus actual is number two. Is that right? Okay, good. Yeah. So your cash flow forecast is the first report you want to be looking at. It's the first number. And the second one, when we're looking like company-wide, firm-wide, Mm -hmm. It's going to be budget versus actual. Okay. All right. And that's on a monthly basis is what we usually look at that with. Yep. Weekly for the cash flow forecast, monthly for budget versus actual. And have you seen firms that you consult with, have they made any strategic changes after looking at those numbers, budget versus actual? Absolutely. Because when you look at it, you can say things like, oh my gosh, we were really over on office supplies. Yeah. Well, is that good or bad? Why were we over on office supplies? Well, we were over on office supplies because we're a trust and estate firm and we had to buy a whole bunch of notebooks. Well, why did we buy a whole bunch of notebooks? Because we got a whole bunch of new clients. Well, why did yeah. we get a whole bunch of new clients? Well, we did this. Oh, well, when we do this, we get a whole bunch of new clients. I see. Your financials are there to start a conversation. What did we do right? What did we do wrong? They are never a face value answer. When you work with your clients, is it usually one person that's managing all these or do they work as a team? Like this is our budget versus actual. Let's talk about this together among the leadership. Let's make changes strategically. What, what have you usually seen when they look at this number? It really depends on the size of the firm. So if it is a larger firm and you've got a marketing person, a head of marketing, yeah, we're probably going to want that person in the room looking at it. 
Yeah. Because we can say you were over here, you were under there. What happened? Let's discuss this. Do you think most firms usually do this anyways, or is this something that you've discovered a lot of them aren't really keeping their thumb on the pulse of this on a monthly basis? I think that in large firms that the controller is closing the books and looking at it, mm-hmm. and they are probably looking at it like an accountant does, mm-hmm. which is, oh, we were over, that's bad. It's always bad to be over. It's not bad to be over. Sometimes it's great to be over. There's not necessarily a lot of of strategy. There's not a lot of going through and really looking at it through a lens of opportunity. I see. And so what's the third one? We've got our cash flow forecast, budget versus actual on a monthly basis. So I'm going to go to the one, and I usually save this one for last, God, but I'm going to do it now. The reason I'm going to do it now is because it is very firm-wide, but it's going to start segueing into the ones that if you're running a, a department or a smaller team, and that those are our ideal ratios. And really what we want to look at is total owner compensation. Mm-hmm. How much are you getting paid for owning this firm? Are you being paid for the time, the effort, and frankly, the risk that you have taken on in being the owner or a partner. Mm-hmm. So we believe in running firms on the rule of thirds. One third goes to pay the people doing the work. One third goes to overhead. And one third should be going to profit. Mm-hmm. Are you getting that? Is this something people are looking at annually? Or are they also looking at that on a monthly basis? Or does it really depend? You should be looking at it um, Both. You should be looking at it on a monthly basis because, frankly, Scott, if you wait until December to look at it, you can't fix it. Yeah, that's right. So you need to be looking at it so that you can make adjustments throughout the year. What are some adjustments that you've seen your clients have made when they look at that number? Well, you know, the first thing that we notice is that people are not paying their teams correctly. So they're spending way too much on on payroll. Yeah. So we go in and we look and we figure out new comp structures, mm-hmm. new bonus structures. And no one likes it when their comp structure changes, right? I mean, no one wants their paycheck to go down. Yeah. So one of the things that we do is... If we're going to, going to adjust their salary, we make sure that we adjust their bonus so that they potentially can make more money. Mm-hmm. They just make more money in a way that's better for us as the owners. Mm-hmm. So we want to look at that. We want to look at if we have the right people. Do we have the right number of attorneys to paralegals, to legal assistants? Are we carrying too many non-billable people? So let me ask you this then, Brooke, when you're talking about this number, let's say that you worked with 100 organizations. Out of 100 organizations you've worked with, how many of those do you think would make changes, some sort of change based on this one number? 99. Really? Wow. That's significant. It is very rare that we see owners that are making the money that we believe they could be and should be making. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, is it just something that hasn't been top of mind? Do they just get so busy in the work that they don't pay attention to this? Why do you think that is usually? I think it's a combination of things. I think part of it is 
this is the way we've always done it. Yeah. This is the cost of doing business. I mean, I've had so many law firms tell me, well, an 80% collection rate's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Our firms collect 96% plus. It's a good realization rate. <laughs> I mean, come on, people. You know, there are a lot of things that we can do. It's not the cost of business. I don't care if it's the way it's always been done. It can be done better. Yeah, and right. we can make adjustments. And especially older, larger firms mm-hmm. tend to, to be stuck in their ways. We've always done it this way. Small firms with a single owner, we have found that, to your point, they're a little overwhelmed. Yeah. There, there's only so much they can do in a day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Interesting. So uh, this is, it's almost like this is kind of a, I wouldn't call it a microscope, but a magnifying glass that really shows where issues are just mm-hmm. by looking at the data, at the numbers. Yeah. Uh, so this is interesting. So so let's go into number four. What's the fourth, the fourth, okay, so uh, fourth one we should look at? Now let's really dig in. So if you are a partner and you're running a team, mm-hmm. Right. You've got a couple of associates working for you and you've got some paralegals. So you care how much you're making as a partner. Right. Because I don't know. I mean, Scott, how many partners have you talked to that were making a ton as non-equity partners? And then all of a sudden they were like, congratulations, you've made equity partner and they're making less money. So yeah, congratulations. Like, and that'll be two hundred thousand dollars, please. <laughs> that, let me take you downstairs. We're gonna co-sign this loan. Right. I know. And <laughs> Yeah. We have one client that literally went to the partnership committee and said, can I go back to being a non-equity partner? Yeah. I've actually seen that where people say, I'm okay not having that equity burden. And some have even said, I think I make more as a non-equity partner. So that's really interesting. I had a so, client try to give equity partner back and he was told no. So tell me, what what's the title of, of this fourth number that we're looking well, at? Well, so ideal ratios are important because okay. of that. So Mm -hmm. now we're moving into the ones that affect you as the partner running your team. So the next one is work in progress. Work in progress. Okay. With, right? Yeah. It's for you and your team. Because if you are running a team, you're running a small law firm within a firm. Yeah. Right? You have got to be productive. You still have to make payroll. You Mm -hmm. still have to pay for yourself. You still have to meet your overhead burden. So there is nothing better than looking at the work in progress. Yeah. And it's that point in the month where you know you've covered your bills. So tell me, what sort of tools do people use to look at this? Do they just have it on an Excel spreadsheet? What have you seen for them to really track this work in progress each month? And I assume it's monthly that they're looking at. Oh, no, you're looking at this one weekly. Weekly. Okay. That's even better. And please, God, tell me (laughs) that you have some kind of practice management system. Yeah. So, you know, when you're looking at this, you want everyone on your team should have a billing goal. Your attorneys, your paralegals, your legal assistant. Everyone should have a billing goal. Okay, good, good. Are they hitting those billing goals? That's what you're managing when you're looking at your will. So have you seen people where they start checking this and tracking this, does it change their leadership style? Does it change their communication with their team? Absolutely. So we're working with a firm out on the West Coast in Tacoma, Washington. And 
her revenue wasn't where it should be. We knew she should have had, had more. And so we're looking at it. We start running the week, weekly WIP reports. And we're like, what's the deal? Your people aren't producing. And so we designed a very specific agenda for her to meet weekly with her team, individually, with each person, to go over their billing or lack thereof the week before. That's great. So she sat down with them. Production went up by 40% and it stayed up. It's been about four years since we designed that for her. Do you think there's ever pushback from colleagues and staff when a leader has to have those kind of conversations with people? You know, you have the conversation whether the person is making their goal or not. Mm. So it's not a punishment conversation. It's a, I'm going to sit down with the leader and get to have a conversation. It's a half hour conversation. It's a half hour check-in every week. You get to, you know, ask some questions. If you've got a problem, that's the time to bring it up. And, you know, as we've been talking about in my company recently, there's something about the boss. It's like a moth to a flame. Mm. You know, sometimes you're just kind of drawn in and you want to get a little close to the leader. Interesting. That's a, that's a good perspective. That's a really good perspective, Brooke. So that's that's really interesting to me because I think that that does increase what I would call the emotional equity of people that aren't equity holders that never will be. If they're staff, they're committed to it. And I can see how the way you phrase that and the way you kind of look through the lens of leadership instead of negative accountability, I think you can kind of, I wouldn't say spin it, but I think you can pursue that to your team as a way that this is a way we can grow together. This is a way we can all get better. Because uh, it is a business. And I think people like being, I think they like knowing how their work matters and what's expected of them. So that's really interesting. Okay. So so let's go to number five. What's the fifth number? Number five. So here you are. You're running a firm within a firm. You need clients, right? You got to have them. You're not going to survive without them. Mm-hmm. So you need to be looking at how many sales calls are booked. Because... This month's sales calls are going to be next month's clients. So what does that mean? When you say a sales call, when I hear that word, I think I'm going out to meet with someone and the only point of our conversation is for me to sell my service to them. What what are examples of a sales call or things that you've seen for people that might deal with more corporate clients? What are some things that you've seen? Well, these are people that are interested in hiring you. So I'll use myself as an example. Needed to have some trust and estate work done. Had an appointment set up to meet with, by the way, if you ever need anyone in the state of Texas, Marvin Blum is the guy. So we made an appointment with Marvin. Marvin is a master. He basically got every piece of financial data out of us, including the balance on all accounts, before we got in there. And then he had a conversation with us. We hadn't hired him yet. I mean, we hired him before we walked out of the room, but that was the sales call. Yeah, like okay. how many potential, like ready to hire discussions are you having a month? Okay, good, good. And I'm sure the the range of numbers depends on everybody individually. But I think by having that as a number that we're paying attention to, I found that whatever I focus on, I usually get. If I focus on achieving a certain goal, I'm more likely to actually hit that. 
Yeah. And, you know, it's different for everybody. But, you know, what I really want to look at is what percentage of those are you converting? Got it. Okay, good. So we want to convert at least 65% of the people who sit down with you to have that conversation. Okay, great. I got to tell you, Marvin must convert 100% because by the time you have sent him every piece of financial information you own, I can't imagine anyone backing out. Right. And what's Um, what's number six? Number six is net new cases. Net new matters. So every month, you're going to open new matters and you're going to close old ones, right? You're going to get new clients and you're going to finish other projects. And the reason I look at net new is because we want to look at the capacity of your team. Hmm. How many clients can you handle at one time? Is it 20? Is it 30? Is it 50? Is it 120? How much pressure does the average client, the average engagement, the average matter put on you guys? Mm. And the reason we want to look at this is because we also want to look at the trend of net new. Is your net new positive or negative? If your net new is negative, I got news. Come partnership time, it's not going to be a good discussion. Yeah, right. Because you're shrinking. If you're growing, that's great, but you're going to max out your team at some point. Let's say your max number of of clients is 50 and you currently have 35 and your net new is plus five every month. That means Mm -hmm. in three months, you're going to be maxed out. Right. So you need to be hiring now. So So, looking at net new... Looking at net new enables you to look out three, six, nine months and know what your staffing needs are going to be. It's not easy to hire people right now. Yeah. I like this. I like this whole, I mean, it seems like this is a holistic approach. You're looking at everything that Mm -hmm. contributes to the success, not just their survival, but also people being able to thrive in building their firms. So, So we've got these six numbers, cash flow forecast, Budget versus actual, ideal ratios, work in progress, sales calls booked, net new cases. We have all this information. Uh, Tell me this. Tell me a story of a firm that you worked with, and maybe they made significant changes in a lot of these areas. Have Have you ever seen it where they've made changes in all six of these areas before? Oh, gosh. Yeah, so we were working with a a firm in the Midwest, and when he came to us, he wasn't doing badly. I mean, his sales were stuck at about three and a half million Mm -hmm. and his profit margin was low. You know, we really wanted him to be making about a third and he was making, I don't know, maybe 10%. Mm. And he really attacked this. He really, we redid all of his compensation packages for his people. Everybody got a billing goal. All of a sudden more work started moving through his firm. His people were held accountable. So we started, his whip went up. Yeah. Right? When whip went up, billing went up. When billing goes up, cash goes up. Mm-hmm. We could see his cash building, which was great. The whip went up. We were better able to forecast. We fired his entire marketing department. Oh, wow. 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 Oh, my gosh. They were awful. So we believe in running firms with data. We want to make data-driven decisions. They couldn't give us any data. And so he had what he calls the red wedding, which is where he kind of fires everybody. Oh, wow. So, so he went in and he 
fired basically everybody in the marketing department. Wow. Hired new marketing people. It was painful. We got people of a much better quality. And all of a sudden, there were more sales calls getting booked. I think it's basically a culture shift is what happened. Mm -hmm. I think that you looking at this through the finance metrics, it really does cause people to tend to think of their practice as a business because it is a business. Whether they're in a big firm, it's still a business. It's a firm within a firm. It's a, it's a business within a business. So tell me this, Brooke, if somebody wants to get started on these ideas, what are three action steps that you would recommend for them to really implement these and make these changes? Well, let's go from simple to more involved. So the first thing they can do is go to Amazon and buy my book. Okay, good. We'll put that link in the show notes too. Okay, awesome. The second thing they can do is go to your bookkeeper and have her run your financials. Mm. Can she produce your P&L? Mm-hmm. Can she produce your balance sheet or he? And can they produce a budget versus actual? And how much pushback do you get? What do you mean by that? So very often we have found that if finance won't produce it, there's something going on. Oh, that's interesting. That's a tell, really, isn't it? That's a tell. Yeah, it's a tell. Yeah. It takes less than three minutes to produce these reports. Yikes. Wow. They're automated reports. I mean, you go in, you click a few buttons, they get spit out. Have you seen your clients where they say, my accounting people said they can't get this to me. What should I do? Have you ever seen that happen before? Yeah. And generally, we found fraud. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. Well, I, I literally was, I was judging some business plan competition. And I walked out and this woman stopped me and she said, I think my accounting guy is telling me this. I was like, yeah, you've got fraud. Wow. And she was like, no, I totally trust him. And I was like, mm. sorry, three months later, she's like, yeah, he embezzled half a million dollars from me. My goodness. That is too bad. Yeah. It may not be fraud. It may just be that they're disorganized, that they're yeah. behind. But it's it's one of those things, you're picking up the rock. Is there something slimy under there? Yeah. Well, that's interesting, Brooke. What's the third action step people can take? The third is go to our website. And if you want, make an appointment to talk to me. Okay, good. And we'll put that link on the show notes also. Yeah. And so tell us then about your services and your offerings, Brooke, that you'd like for our listeners to know. I think you've done a great job in setting up the stage here for a lot of value. And uh, so tell us, what would you like our listeners to know more about what you do and how you can help them? So CAFCAP is a catalyst for accelerated profit. And we do this by looking at the metrics. Like I said, we make data-driven, we help firms make data-driven decisions. We give firms a CFO and an analyst, and we look at what they do from the top down and the bottom up. The CFO is there to help with the strategy. Mm -hmm. Where are you now? Where do you want to go? And what's it going to take to get there? The analyst is there to dig down into the data, to go into your practice management software, to go into your books, to look for the anomalies, to look for the correlation that we may not necessarily see on the surface and give us that data so that we can then make the decisions. That's great, Brooke. 
Well, thank you for being on the show. Great ideas that you shared with us. I've learned a lot. It's been really interesting. And uh, I'd love to have you back on the show in the future, Brooke. Oh, I'd love to come back. Thanks a lot for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.